Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This message by Pastor Eric Ludi is entitled, The Most High and Holy Place. The Old Testament records that the people of Israel all too commonly intermixed worship of the one true God with worship of the gods of all the surrounding nations. They built places for this idol worship on all the high places of the land. However, God only intended them, as well as us, to worship in one place. Please contact us at www.ellersley.com. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludi. This is a hard one to title, The Most High and Holy Place. This is about a place. And I asked Hudson before I came up, I showed him the name to the message, and I said, you know what that says? The Most High and Holy Place. And I said, what do you think that is? He said, heaven? I go, that's pretty good. Uh, I said, in heaven, what's the most high and holy place? He says, God? I go, hmm, good thinking, buddy. You see, here on this earth, we have what are known as high places. And yet, what we as Christians understand is that there is a place higher than any other. And that is the place to which we run. That is the place we go in time of need. And what we're going to study today is high places in Scripture. And what we're we're going to realize is that there's a place that we naturally default to as humans to go to. And it is not God. It is a counterfeit high place. So let's discuss a high place. It's not a typical term we use in the American culture, for instance. We know that a high place would mean a place that's high. However, it's not a term we use. However, in and through the Hebrew history, there's an understanding of a high place or the high places, and it's very, very significant. So what we can call it is an imminent attraction. It is an attraction that literally steals the show. Everyone in our culture will see it. They all know about it. What are the things that matter most in the culture? Those would be the high places. Those are the places that all the populace, all the people will go. Everyone in the culture knows about it. Everyone in the culture is familiar with it. They're the imminent places. They're the imminent attractions. They're a notorious location, a place where needs are met. Well, you have a need? Well, go to one of the high places. There's different high places for different needs. And so therefore, when you have this need, you go here. I remember growing up, it's like, oh, you're feeling down. You need to sort of veg out tonight. Where do you go? Well, we have a high place in almost every town. It used to be called the video store. And I'm sure it's a little easier access now. I think it's like Netflix or iTunes. In other words, all you have to do is click a button now to go to those high places. But it's something that will meet a need. There is some need you have, and in every culture, there are high places that you go to to meet those needs. This message, by the way, is bound to be offensive. (laughs) A high place was or is designed for worship, sacrifice, and offering. It's tended by trained priests to facilitate sacrifices and offerings unto a God. Now, unfortunately, in this uh, font, you can't see that God is not capitalized there. But... There is actually a place, and then there is a form, a way that you go about doing things. However, you bring something to the table, and you're going to get something in return. You bring a sacrifice, you bring an offering, and you're going to have your needs met. It's just sort of a trade-off here. The God that you're coming to needs to be fed. 
He needs to be worshipped. And if you do your job, then he will give you what you need. So you need health? Well, he can give that to you. You need prosperity? Oh, he can give that to you. You need your crops to not be uh, killed by the, the recent disease that's, that's coming through the land? He can give that to you. You need popularity. Well, you know what? That might be a bigger offering, but you know, well, we can give these things to you. There's different cravings you have. There's different needs you have. Well, there's different high places to meet those needs. The one place. So we just talked about the high place. I want to talk about the one place because the same Bible that goes into great detail describing these high places and what an abomination they are to God talks about the one place. The one place. And they, Israel, shall no more offer their sacrifices unto devils, after whom they have gone a-whoring. This shall be a statute forever unto them throughout their generations. And thou shalt say unto them, Whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers which sojourn among you, that offers a burnt offering or sacrifice, and brings it not unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, to offer it unto the Lord, even that man shall be cut off from among his people." If you have a sacrifice, if you have an offering, if you have worship to bring anywhere, and you bring it anywhere other than to the door of the congregation, you will be cut off from Israel. What's it saying? Don't you dare go to a high place. That's what it's saying. You see, high places existed. What is God saying? If you go to a high place, you're cut off. There was only one place in Israel. One. You know, I'm giving you the gospel. You just don't know it yet. You see, there's only one place to find help. Only one. And if you go anywhere else, you'll be cut off from that one source. There's only one means of salvation. Make sure you go there. Deuteronomy 12. But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall ye seek. And thither thou shalt come, and thither ye shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and heave offerings of your hand and your vows and your freewill offerings. So all these things that you can bring, all sorts of offerings and sacrifices, but where do you bring it? But unto the place, this is the very first line, but unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name. Even unto his habitation shall ye seek, and thither thou shalt come. So you have offerings, you have sacrifice, you have worship to give. Make sure you bring it to the place that he chooses. He is going to choose a place and he will place his name there. You see, when we hear the word place, what do we think of? We think of a location, which isn't wrong. We think of a town or a city or a hill. We don't think of something that moves on two feet. And yet there is a place. And we bring our sacrifices, our offering, unto that place. He's a tabernacle. He is a tabernacle. And the firstlings of your herds and of your flocks, take heed to thyself that thou offer not thy burnt offerings in every place that thou seest. There's a lot of other places you will see, but take heed that you do not offer your sacrifices just in every place that thou see, but in the place which the Lord shall choose. In one of thy tribes there sh- thou shalt offer thy burnt offerings, and there thou shalt do all that I command thee. And in Ezekiel 20, For in mine holy mountain, in the mountain of the height of Israel, saith the Lord God, there shall all the house of Israel, all of them in the land, serve me. He's saying there is a mountain, and in that mountain all my people will come and all of my people will serve. 
There will I accept them, and there will I require your offerings and the first fruits of your oblations with all your holy things. Now, if I was going to give you a massive hint, I would say that mountain is a person. Bring it under the door. That's the command. You're supposed to bring it under the door. You're supposed to bring it under the door of the tabernacle. Door. Now, for those of you that have studied the word of God, you've studied the names of Jesus Christ, the door. What does that bring to your understanding? Bring it unto the door. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will. Where? At the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. Whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel or of the strangers which sojourn among you that offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and brings it not unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation to offer it unto the Lord, even that man shall be cut off from among his people. So there's a place. It's a place that God shall choose. I mean, if we just put all this stuff together, it's a place. It's a place God shall choose. It is the highest mountain. And in this place, we are to bring our offerings, our sacrifices, our free will, our worship. This is the place. And if anyone amongst us brings our sacrifices to any other place, to any other high place, some counterfeit mountain that isn't the mountain, that takes to some door that isn't the door, we will be cut off. Jesus says, brace yourselves, buckle seatbelts, I am the door. Oh, by the way, you know that door? Uh huh. Jesus says, I am that door. You know that door that you're commanded to? You know that place that you're supposed to bring your sacrifice? You know that place you're supposed to come? You know that place where you'll be washed? Where you'll be cleansed? Where you'll be forgiven? I am that door. Don't try and find your help, your salvation at any other door. I am that door. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. You know, the best way for us to understand I am the way in this message would be I am the door. A door is the way. Like, how do you get there? Well, you go through this door. That's the way in. The way in is through a door. The tabernacle had three doors or three entries, three ways you have The first one, the second one, and the third one into the most holy place. And he is that way in. He is the access. So he's called the way or the door. And so most of us don't usually think about that. But Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. You see, you want to access the Father. You want to access his blessing. You want to access his provision. You want to access his salvation. You go to any other high place other than the high place, and you will not have your needs met. It's a counterfeit, and you will be cut off from Almighty God. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. But he spoke of the temple of his body. Jesus is the tabernacle. Jesus is the temple. He is the door of the temple. It is to that temple, to that tabernacle, that we bring our sacrifice. So a high place. I know this looks like a screen I had earlier, but now we're going to go a little deeper because I've given you more background. You see, if we just talk about a high place, oh, it's just some place in Israel where they you know, offered sacrifices to a false god, whether that be Ashtaroth, Baal, uh, 
Chemosh, Molech, you know, the various, you know, gods that you could choose from. However, let's start to make this practical for us if it hasn't yet begun to be that. That which obstructs from the one and only place of help and salvation. What's a high place? It's something that is drawing your attentions to another solution outside of the solution. A high place is something that's like, it has little neon signs on it, like, look here, go here, come to me. I can solve your problem. Oh, you have issues? Come here to solve those issues. It's a high place, that which obstructs from the one and only place of help and salvation. It's a counterfeit solution. That which attempts to block the view. Oh, don't look over there. Look at me instead. That which attempts to distract. It's another door. The way that seems right unto a man. I don't even know how to explain this, but we are so attracted to high places outside of God Almighty. And it makes total sense to us, too. In fact, as we go through this message, if we were to go into great detail through all the things that we turn to, Outside of Jesus Christ, it would be shocking. And the whole while we're doing it, we're doing it under the banner of worshiping Jehovah God. It's like, oh, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. He's everything to me. And then you go and sacrifice over at this high place right after church. And then, you know, Sunday night, you go over here and, oh, yeah, but that's just part of what we do. Everyone does that. this, This message will hit us square between the eyes. There is a way that seems right unto man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. I recognize that all of us could agree, and we could bond together in covenant not to get each other convicted over it, that all these high places in our land are perfectly reasonable, and every other Christian does it. However, it really doesn't matter if every other Christian does it. If we are justifying high places other than the place, and we are finding satisfaction, we are finding help in time of need in any other source other than in the throne room of grace, then it is false. There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The high place. Now, it's hard to see it in the font, but the is all caps. The high place. So we have a high place, and then we have the high place. We could call it the highest place, but there is a high place, and it's to that place that God has chosen that we are to bring our sacrifice. 1 Kings 3. And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about it. A very significant thing is happening. The son of David is building a house, which is a huge parallel with Jesus Christ, who is the one who will establish and build the temple of God in three days. Three. He will rebuild it in three days and... Put a wall about Jerusalem. It will be a shield of faith. And he will be an armor of light unto his people. This is a picture of the resurrection. This is a picture of the establishment of us as the temple of God. Solomon is building a temple. And yet, listen to this. Only the people sacrificed in high places. Because there was no house built unto the name of the Lord. Until those days. If there is no clear understanding of a house that has been built to bear the name of the Lord, then everyone around will go to the high places. You see, the clarity of the gospel is essential to the church to say there is only one place. And if we do not have a clear herald unto the church 
then people will go to high places and they will function in their ignorance because there is a way that seems right unto men. And they have needs that need to be met. And so they will go where their parents went and where their grandparents went. And that's how Israel always functioned. They did what their parents did who did what their parents did. Every once in a while, in strode a revolutionary that said, this stops now. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father, only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. Oh, say it isn't so, Solomon. How could you? Well, what about us? I mean, don't cluck your tongue at Solomon if you yourself are sacrificing burnt, and burnt incense and offering burnt incense in high places. Do you have high places in your life? Anything other than that door that you are coming to, to seek help in time of need. Do you turn anywhere else but Jesus Christ? The command to Israel. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest. Lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. His name is Jealous. And he says, if there are any high places in the land, break them down. Break down the altars. Tear them down. Turn them to ash. He doesn't just say it once. He says it a whole bunch of times. But thus shall ye deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself. Above all that are upon the face of the earth, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which, which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hates him. He will repay him to his face. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them. And what were they? Tear down these altars. Break down these high places. Do not go to them again, but take your offering unto the door. For he is faithful and true. He will keep his promise. He will keep his covenant with his people. He loves you. He will care for your needs. Don't turn to any other God. Doesn't it just make sense? I mean, even as we're talking, it's like, of course. And when we look back at Hebrew history, we're like, what's wrong with these people? These guys are idiots. I can't believe. Right after God does that, they build the high places? Why would they do that? You know, if you were to get inside their skin, you'd recognize they do it for the same reason we do it. You don't see what you do. I oftentimes don't see what I do. It's cultural. It's what we've inherited. It's our understanding of just how we do things. Oh, yeah, we go to church on Sundays, but then we go to the high place of Baal on Mondays. Oh, that's just tradition. Monday night, Baal night. <laughs> de, 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 de. <laughs> Deuteronomy 12. You shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess served their gods. 
upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree. And you shall overthrow their altars and break their pillars and burn their groves with fire. And you shall hew down the graven images of their gods and destroy the names of them out of that place. This is violence against the high places. You do not take them lightly. You devastate them. You shall not do so unto the Lord your God, but unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall you seek, and thither thou shalt come. And thither you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and heave offerings of your hand and your vows and your freewill offerings and the firstlings of your herds and of your flocks. Why would anyone ever build a high place? Doesn't it just seem absolutely ridiculous? God is so clear on this point. If you take your offering anywhere else, you'll be cut off. Why would any of us ever do this? Seven reasons why. You see, we have seven different dimensions of our life that need to be tended to. And these are big areas of our life. The health side of life. The sense of being whole and strong is under siege. Your body's breaking down. You have physical ailments, whatever it be, at any level, whether it be small or big, whether it's a headache or it's a cancer. And there's a bait in this culture. There's a high place that says, we can solve your problem. And it literally woos us to something other than coming under the door, under the one who says, look, I have promised to care for you. I love you. I know your need. I am known as Jehovah Rapha. Instead, we go to a high place and we say, what can you do for me? He says, well, we need an offering from you. We need to put, have you put your trust and confidence in us and we will make an exchange and we will serve you. We will solve your health issues. The financial side of life, the sense of being stable and secure is missing. You have issues. You have a sense of weakness. You know, in the culture of, of the Israelites, It's extremely fascinating because there were gods that could help you with provision. And so therefore, all you need to do is give a little offering. I mean, it's just a a sheep or something. But you're going to be promised 10 sheep in exchange. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. It's just sort of playing the odds at this thing. Even if you're not fully giving yourself to this God, you can still get the benefit of it. I mean, there's powers at work out there. and You don't want that power to be against you. And so why don't you just placate that God? I mean, the, uh, the way that we even think and function is very similar. The comfort side of life, the sense of satisfaction, refreshment, and accomplishment is lacking. You're not comfortable. You're uneasy in life. Life isn't as smooth as it's supposed to be. Would, what would you give to one of these false gods to be able to get a little peace in your life? The intelligence side of life, the sense of being right and competent is absent. The purpose side of life, the sense of being really alive is simply not present. The relational side of life, the sense of being on good terms with and sharing intimacy with others is gone. You see, we want to fit in. We want to have good relationships. We want to have a sense of purpose. We want to be alive. And there are so many other things that will give you a sense of purpose. You want to know one of the, even the reasons, you look at Harley Davidson and they're brilliant in their marketing schemes. They give people a sense of belonging. And if you just wear the, 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 the leather coat that says Harley Davidson on it, if you drive the vehicle, I tell you what, you fit in immediately. You're grafted in. 
we do not have the same culture in Christianity anymore. We're disbanded and ununified. And as a result, the one place doesn't even seem as if it could possibly offer that sense of belongingness. Number seven, the religious side of life. The sense of being good and on good terms with greater powers is missing. If you're feeling under condemnation, oftentimes you will go to great lengths to solve it. However, there's still only one door. For every single one of these things, there's only one door. You have a need. You go to that door. You don't go to any other door. The bait of self-preservation. Long and short, every one of these high places is there, and its appeal is to self. Self-comfort, self-indulgence, self-satisfaction at some level. You want to be fine. You want to have a happy life. You want things to be easy for you. And so, all you have to do is offer a sacrifice. All you need to do is adhere yourself unto this God, and you will have that need met. It's the bait of self-preservation. The bait of self-exaltation. That's the Garden of Eden. What is, what is the serpent doing? He's saying, you could have it so much better. You see, I could take care of you. All you have to do is do what I ask you to do. A little sacrifice. Just disobey God. Come and eat what he told you not to. It's not that big of a deal because he hasn't told you the full truth. I will give you more. You see, he's trying to be exclusive, saying you have to come only to him. However, he's not meeting this need, this need, this need, and this need. So what you need to do is come, and you can still pay him tribute, but you could find the greater life by allowing me, says the serpent, to assist you. The woo of self, the woo towards the counterfeit high place. So here we are in 1 Kings 12, and we see the woo, that means the drawing, to the counterfeit high place. Why would, why would they ever build a high place in Israel? They have Jehovah God, the God who literally delivered them from the Egyptians, the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who brought them over on dry land. It's amazing. Fed them for 40 years from heaven. This God, the God who has brought down fire from heaven, the God who has raised dead men to live. Why would you panic? Why wouldn't you just say, oh, that God can supply all my needs? He's promised to. Why would anyone go off the reservation? Why would any of us do that? And Jeroboam, which would be probably appropriate to boo, and Jeroboam, said in his heart, now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. You see, he's actually concerned about this. He's like, oh no. The kingdom will return to the house of David. We don't want that. We don't want them returning to the house of Jesus. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me. Self-preservation. You see, he's in a bad situation here. He's concerned that if they return to the Lord, if they return to that one place, if they begin to bring their sacrifices under that door, oh, woe is, woe is Jeroboam. And they will kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So this is what he does. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. That's a long way. 
That's a long way to go. I mean, all the way to Jerusalem, that's too much for you. So in the goodness of my heart, I've come up with a solution. You see, I've made two calves of gold and said unto them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Can you believe that statement? These are your saviors. Says the king, highest authority in the land. You want to fit in here in Israel? This is the way we're going to do things around here. It's too much for you to go all the way to Jerusalem. I mean, we're here in Israel. You don't have to trans- go all the way into Judah. I don't want to lose you. And so I've made some gods for you. These are the ones that saved you anyways. These are your salvation. O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and he set the one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. And this thing became a sin. Uh-huh. For the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. And he made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people which were not of the sons of Levi. Boo! It's a long way to go to Jerusalem. You see, and if our lives were to go unto that door, we may turn from all these other high places and we may see that Jeroboam is not our real king. We may actually realize that we've been living under the control of sin all these years. Wait a minute. And sin doesn't want you to know that. The flesh wants to keep control of your life. Hey, you see these calves over here? These are the ones that can save you. You don't have to go all the way to the door in Jerusalem. Oh, that's unnecessary. We have it totally set for you already. We've thought it through. This will be so much easier for you. God will still be satisfied. He understands it's a long way to Jerusalem. Not everyone has the luxury of just being able to go to the door. The high place of self. So we have a guy. That's a guy, by the way. Uh, That's you. We're going to call it the high place. Remember what the title of this little section was? The high place of self. You see, when we are going to high places, what we are doing is we're going to find self-satisfaction, self-preservation, self-exaltation. And what is the door? Self-denial. No. No, we can't go to the door. I don't want to give that up. I don't want to give up my craving. I don't want to give up my lust. I don't want to give up that comfort. I don't want to give up that satisfaction. I don't want to go to the door. And so what do we do? We still go to a door. You see, we're coming to a door, but it's a door in a high place that is not God. And it is called self. So look at the top. It says self is the head. By the way, who's the head of the church? Jesus. It's called the body of Christ. The head of the body of Christ is Christ. But the head of the body of sin is known as self. You see, you're sitting in a throne you weren't ever supposed to sit in. And as a result, your body has been corrupted. And just as it said in the days of Jeroboam, it was a sin. That is sin. Right there. Self has become the door. Where are you bringing your sacrifices? Who are you attempting to appease? Who are you attempting to gratify? You're attempting to gratify self. And as a result, when you have a sacrifice to bring, you're bringing it to something to the self-altar. And as a result, your life's a little messed up. 
You see, there's three portions to your life, and every tabernacle is divided into three parts. And you have the flesh, you have the soul, and the spirit, typically understood as the body, the soul, and the spirit. But the flesh, when the flesh, when the body, when the instincts, when the natural yearnings, when the cravings, and the impulses, and the lusts of a body are at the lead instrument, they are controlling the soul, which is you, your mind, will, and emotions. So it says the flesh is alive, the soul is enslaved. You are actually a slave unto sin. And though you think you're in control, actually you're a puppet king because sin is ruling your body. And the spirit, that which could save you, is dead. There's no life. There's no presence of God in you to rescue you. So the high place. In Adam. Adam is the first of all men. And guess what? Every single one of us is of the lineage of Adam. All of us are born as a result of Adam. So, in a sense, all of us are related to one guy, Adam. And so in the Bible, it's called being in Adam. We are in his heredity. We are in his problem. We are in this. This is our state. We have become that high place that must be torn down. We have become a counterfeit to what the tabernacle is supposed to be. And we deserve judgment in this should be destroyed with fire. Oh, bad situation. I don't want to be a high place trying to draw people to me. I don't want to be a a, a solution for anyone outside of Jesus. But you've become a solution for yourself. You see, you have turned to self, to gratify self. That's become the highest God for you. So in Adam, that's, that's what you are. You're in Adam, where the old man rules. The corrupt tabernacle where self is worshipped and sin reigns. Uh, Not a a good situation. The apostasy. The great falling away. The great meltdown. That's what an apostasy is. It's a complete falling apart. Falling away. The acceptance of the high place. What causes an apostasy? Well, it's exactly that. It's the acceptance of the high place. The integrating it into the worship of Jehovah, even calling it the worship of Jehovah. When you begin to go to self, and you begin to serve self-gratification, self-reliance, self-promotion, self-indulgence, and then you call it Christianity, whoa. That's called apostasy. That's the great falling away. When you begin to take a false god and stick him on the throne in the temple... And declare, this is our God now, church. Self has become the center. Self has become our king. We do what self wants. And then we call it Christianity. Then we call it worshiping Jehovah. That's what Israel did. Whoa, that's no small thing. What have we done? Have we justified any high place in our soul? Have we done the same? 2 Kings, and here's the description of the apostasy. And the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God. And they built them high places in all their cities, from the tower of the watchman to the fenced city. And they set them up images and groves in every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burnt incense in all the high places, as did the heathen whom the Lord carried away before them, and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. For they served idols, whereof the Lord had said unto them, You shall not do these things. 
Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets and by all the seers, saying, Turn ye from your evil ways, and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers, and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But notwithstanding, even after all that warning, there's only one place, there's only one place, there's only one place, there's only one place. Tear these down, tear these down, burn them to the ground. But even after all those warnings, notwithstanding, they would not hear, but hardened their necks like to the neck of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and his testimonies, which he testified against them. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after the heathen that were around about them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. And they left all the commandments of the Lord their God and made their molten images, even two calves, and made a grove and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire and used divination and enchantments and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel. Do you blame them? And removed them out of his sight. And there was none left but the tribe of Judah only. Whoa! Uh, just good old history? Or is this useful for training us in righteousness? For instructing us? Is this useful for revealing to us how we ought to live today? You better believe it, it is. This is the word of God. And this word of God reveals not just history, it reveals the person of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus, the plan for Jesus. It reveals the door. This takes us under the door and says, Though, that's a false door. Turn away, repent of that door. Tear it down. Crush it. Turn it to dust. And turn unto me once again. He will show mercy. So what we went through is, in going through this process, it says, and they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, and made them molten images, even two calves, and made a grove, and worshipped all the host of heaven. All the host of heaven is the stars, the moon, the sun. It's all the stars. That became their gods. And served Baal, and they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire, and used divination and enchantments, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord. So I broke those things down into what I'll call the five flavors of American apostasy. Now, if you're not yet uncomfortable in this message... I, I don't know if I should forewarn you or just hit you upside the head with a shock. <laughs> By the way, I'm right there with you. I grew up in the same culture. However, I think it's high time we call apostasy apostasy. I think it's high time that we call a high place a high place. And I think it's high time that we start behaving as the great kings who did right in the sight of the Lord and tore down the high places. So here's our first thing. They left the commandments of the Lord their God and made God replicas, counterfeit gods, gods of their own making in the image that they preferred. When you're making a golden calf, what are you doing? It's like we prefer God to be like this. That's the way the Egyptians would understand it. I mean, a calf is a symbol of strength and virility. That's who saved us. Whoa, no. Jehovah God, the I am, is the one who saved you out of Egypt. Get rid of that golden calf. How dare we build anything and call it God that we have shaped with our own hands, our own understanding, our own philosophy. God is, and we do not define him. He is, even if we don't even know who he is, he still is. He defines himself. 
But they left the commandments of the Lord their God and made God replicas, counterfeit gods, gods of their own making, the image that they preferred. So what has happened in America? We've built divas, sex symbols, leading men and action heroes, whose chiseled bodies, sleek forms, smoldering looks, and dazzling personas became the bait for a nation. We have placed them on silver screens and sat and watched their every move, worshiping them as gods. They gave them microphones and gushed with awe as they sang, gave them their money and marveled at their indulgences, and gave them their praises and sincerest adorations. They followed these gods, dressing as they dress, talking as they talk, flexing as they flex, seducing as they seduce, kissing as they kiss, sinning as they sin. Can anyone argue this? This is what we call stardom. The angelic host, the heavenly host, has become our God. And we will think and meditate and follow the lives of these ridiculous sinners instead of recognizing there is only one door. And when we are at this high place, we are not at the tabernacle of the Most High God. They made a grove, worshipped the sun, moon, and stars instead of the Creator and served Baal instead of Jehovah. They made a football stadium. Worship these superstars, idolized them, mimicked their every move, applauded their every action, cheered when they succeeded, and wept when they lost. They gave their minds and energies to the following of this game and gave every spare thought to considering what might take place in the football stadium next. They served football instead of Jesus. My mom used to say, by the way, I have a great propensity to love football. My mom, when I would be screaming and yelling, she would say, Eric, used to make me so mad. Eric, uh, do you or are you willing to shout as loud for Jesus who has saved you <laughs> than for this kicker that doesn't wear a shoe that just suddenly somehow made a ball go through uprights? That's beside the point. Yeah, go! <laughs> my affections, my longings, and when I was driving down the road, I'd turn on sports talk. What do I want to be thinking about? I want to be thinking about the strategy. I want to be thinking about the game. What was I doing it for? Well, every guy has needs. You see, there's worse things I could be doing, but I have a need. You have a need for entertainment? Mm-hmm. You have a need for satisfaction? You just need you time. And for a man, that's pretty clearly defined. I have a high place. And then I go to that high place, and I offer up my offering, I offer up my praise, I offer up my worship, and what do I get back? Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's very depressing. As uh, if you follow the Denver Broncos back in the 80s, 90s, early 90s, boy, it was depressing. All the way to the Super Bowl and then lose it and get blown out nonetheless. And so I'd be devastated. I would weep. When John Elway retired, I wept. A little embarrassing. They caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire. And they caused their sons and daughters to be aborted, to be sacrificed for their comfort and their peace of mind, for their God was their own self-interest. They allowed for the devaluing of human life to reign in their day and age, for the value and esteem of self was held preeminent. This is our culture. We will gladly go to the god Molech and say, here, you take my child so that I can have peace and satisfaction. It's the whole reason they did it back then. We look at them passing their children through the fire. Why? Well, their crops would grow. Moloch would take care of them. 
And what, is, what are we told today? Look, it's not your fault this happened to you. There's a better way of handling it. Just give them to Molech. Molech will make sure that you have peace. Molech will make sure that you're taken care of. There's ways of dealing with this. Just pass them through the fire. No. They used divination and enchantments. And they built a golden calf church, a church the way that they, the modern populace, would prefer it. And they redefined God to be according to their liking. A God, small g, by the way, who overlooks sin and promotes the esteem of self. They built this church to encourage the construction of high places and to applaud doubt, addiction, and self-pleasure. This church that has been made in our image as men promotes high places. Oh, you have high places? Good for you. We all need a few addictions. We all need other places to go because God doesn't truly satisfy. It was a church that was specifically designed to diminish the word of God and ridicule God's opinion while simultaneously placing all confidence in the intellects, opinions, and philosophies of men. It was a church that excused the sins of men and forsook the importance of the cross of Christ. A church that explained away hell and removed the judgment seat of Christ from the thinking and awareness of the congregation. Such a church could never thrive in a culture like ours, could it? That is the church today. I'm not saying that every single one of you has gone after these high places. However, every single one of us has been distracted by them at probably some level. They are imminent attractions in our culture. You have needs. And if you have a religious need, this makes a lot more sense. The golden calf God. Look, he overlooks your sin. He doesn't care about these things. He just sort of offers you the love that you're needing, that sense of belongingness that you need. There is only one door of salvation. And if we build any other, we're cut off. They sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord. And they shopped and shopped and shopped. And they bought and they bought and they bought, believing that by having things they might be happy. But in their buying, they became a slave unto the very things they bought. And in their buying, they ran up debt and became slaves to their creditors. They attempted to find solace and peace in something other than the Lord, and in so doing, performed evil in the Lord's sight. Now, that's a very quick overview of the American culture, which, by the way, uh, most people would say is post-Christian, but has, for most of our lives, especially the older ones in here, always been a Christian nation. What has happened to us? And what's extra odd is how we have participated in it. We can look out there at the current political regimes and we can be with a dismissive hand and say, look what they're doing to our country. But we never look in and say, look what I'm doing to my own life. Look what I'm doing to my marriage. Look what I'm doing to my family. Look what I'm doing to my church. Look what I'm doing to this nation. Is the church helping the nation? to change direction, to tear down these high places? Or are we working ecumenically to come alongside and help build them? What is it? It's two different types of people. Well, three different types of people throughout Israel's history. Ones that built high places. Ones that didn't tear them down, knew they were there, but didn't want to get involved. And then those that tore them down. Ah... I think we're probably in the middle. 
I think we're caught in the web of political correctness. And we don't really want to make a deal about some of these things. Look, you know, for you, that's fine. However, I'm just going to try and mind my own business here. We have high places, and we as the church are calling it the worship of Jehovah. The four kings that didn't complete the task. Jehoash. And Jehoash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord in all his days when Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Put a big emphasis on the word but here. But the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places. Amaziah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like David his father. He did according to all things as Joash his father did. How be it? You notice how that's all big? How be it? The high places were not taken away, as yet the people did sacrifice and burnt incense on the high places. Azariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done, save that the high places were not removed. The people sacrificed and burnt incense still on the high places. What? D- didn't they read the word of God? It says the high places must be torn down. Same word of God to us. And why are they still standing? Wow! And don't you, can't you get into these guys' shoes? I can. I know exactly what they're thinking. Look, <laughs> if I'm going to be a king here, I want to please God, but I don't want to mess with that. If you want to get in trouble in your life, start dishing out messages like this one. <laughs> Jotham. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. How be it? The high places were not removed. The people, still, the people sacrificed and burnt incense still in the high places. He built the higher gate of the house of the Lord. The great twisting. It's an extremely fascinating thought. Hezekiah is not in that list. Hezekiah tore down the high places. And this is what is said. This is such a fascinating observation. The practice of integrating the worship of Jehovah into the high places had been of such long-standing tradition that Hezekiah's destruction of the high places was declared an act of apostasy from Jehovah. It was such an extreme thing to tear down the high places, what Hezekiah did, that he was accused by the Rabshakeh. One of the main things that he was being accused of by those that were coming against Judah was, how dare you? How could you even serve this man? who has basically turned his back on Jehovah and torn down the high places through which we worshipped Jehovah. You see, everyone thought they were still worshipping Jehovah in and through these high places. And when Hezekiah has the audacity to obey the word of God, it is deemed such a travesty that he has apostatized. You stand up in this culture And you say, this needs to go down in my life. And I tell you what, people will actually look at you as if you are a problem. The church will look at you as if you are disturbing it. When all you're doing is saying, this altar in my soul of self needs to go down. The four kings that purged the evil. Asa. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and broke down the images and cut down the groves and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. Look at that. He took away, broke down, cut down, commanded. He did that which God commanded. 
Also, he took away out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the images, and the kingdom was quiet before him. Jehoshaphat. And his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he took away the high places and groves out of Judah. Hezekiah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. According to all that David his father did, he removed the high places and broke the images and cut down the groves and broke in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. And he called it Nehushtan, that cursed thing. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah nor any that were before him. And Josiah. The one that we typically remember is the one who tore down everything and it's literally like, Oh, multiple chapters. I mean, it's a massive amount. And so to try and capture that is, unfortunately, just to say it this simply doesn't quite do it. And he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba and broke down the high places of the gates that were in the entering in of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on a man's left hand at the gate of the city. The king that performed righteousness. So we have Jeroboam, you guys don't remember you're supposed to boo for Jeroboam? Thank you. Thank you. We have Jeroboam who literally builds the high places. Then we have the four kings that they do right in God's sight, but they don't eliminate the high places. And then we have kings that did right, which was in God's sight, but destroyed and obeyed the word of God and destroyed and utterly annihilated the high places. I don't know which one you want to be in that scale. Some of us, I can just see how we think. It's just like, well, tell me more about those four that didn't destroy the high places. Didn't God say that they did right in the sight of the Lord? See, I know how you're thinking. You're looking for compromise. You're looking to take the easier road. However, I want to introduce you to the king that performed righteousness. The king. How he behaves. Because you have a privilege in this generation, that is to believe in that king, to come unto that door. And when you come unto that door, you are clothed in that king's behavior. And then that king and his behavior enter into you. You don't have a choice of trying to behave like a marginal king. You have the king of kings, the king that wrought righteousness, the one that did according to the law of the Lord. You have that king living in you. But you shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Who fulfilled that? His name is Jesus Christ. He fulfilled it with perfect righteousness. He is the fulfillment of the law. What was commanded of perfect righteousness, perfect behavior? He did. He has, speaking of Jesus, disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He tore down the high places. He crushed them under his feet. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, speaking of Jesus, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. You know that when Jesus was dying on that cross... He was destroying something. He was cutting things down. He was turning them to ash. He was destroying the one who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and released those who, through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Golgotha. I had one of uh, the congregants here from the church come up to me last week and 
was talking to me about, showed me a scripture I'm going to show you in a second about what David did with the head of Goliath. Last week we talked about five smooth stones. And it's really, it was really fascinating what he said. And so I was looking at Golgotha this week, which is the place where Jesus died. He died in a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. The place of the skull is what it could read. Or it could be the place of skulls. There's all, like multiple, plural. It's sort of a study. It's a very unsatisfying study when you try and study Golgotha because no one really knows. You know, there's one of the concepts is that that was the skull, all the skulls of the bad guys get lopped off, beheaded, and they were all sort of buried there. And so it sort of creates this mound of skulls, possibility. Uh, there's also uh, the concept of it being the skull of Adam was buried there. And so if you want to look at it this way, the old man, uh, the head. Remember what Jesus crushes? Jesus crushes the head of the serpent. And it's in the place of the skull. What is a skull? It's a, it's a head that is dead. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. It's, it's not a living head. It is a head that is dead. And so the place of the skull, the place of the skull, the place of skulls, the place of Adam's skull, whether or not that's true or not, it's extremely fascinating. The place of the skull. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. Isn't that strange that David brought the head or the skull of, of Goliath? To Jerusalem? So I don't know if he was going to put it somewhere. It makes sense that he'd throw it in that heap. But isn't that an amazing thing? He's symbolic of the power of sin that stood and defied the armies of Israel, which is what we talked about last week. And so then we have the place of the skull. I just think that's an extremely fascinating thought. The cross. What is the cross? Well, it's the high place, the main attraction. You see, all these other high places are an attempt to distract, to say, hey, look at me. And what does God say? No, look at the cross. Behold! Behold the true attraction. Behold the door. Behold the way. Behold your redemption. It's the high place, the main attraction, the place where all other high places were crushed. All other heads. Remember the door was the head? All other doors. All other doors are crushed at the place of the skull. The dead heads are underneath the cross. It's what an incredible picture. The tabernacle on two feet. He is the tabernacle. And there he is. Bearing, making way, opening up a door in and through his shed blood. Come on in. Come in and partake. Come on in. The tabernacle on two feet, torn down and rebuilt. The door of entry. The way unto the Father. The only place of salvation. Where do you need to go? Do you need to find a door in Jerusalem of some physical building and bring your sacrifice there? No, what Jesus says is, you come unto me. I am the door. You come unto the cross, and there's only one place for salvation. You try and find it anywhere else but in the cross of Jesus Christ, and you will be cut off. This is the place you've been trying to decapitate the old man your entire life, but you can't get rid of self's rule over your life. The old man rules. However, what Paul says is the old man is crucified with him at the place of skulls. You see, all of our old men, if you want to say it that way, have been dealt with. But it's only dealt with there. You have a time of need? It's called sin? Come unto the cross. And the cross will supply you 
with that which you need, which is a robe of righteousness, a clothing of his work, his righteousness. And he will take you unto the Father. He will make a way unto a throne room of grace to the highest place. And you will have an offering there, a sacrifice, which I will describe to you because you go, well, I'm not supposed to sacrifice anymore. That was the sacrifice. You're right. His blood was the sacrifice, but you still have a sacrifice and an offering to make. And that's delineated to us in the book of Hebrews. Christ, the doorway to life. You want life? You see, you have needs. Health needs, financial needs, religious needs, relational needs. I mean, you're just busting forth with needs. Where should you go to meet those needs? God says, halt. Don't just go anywhere your eye sees. But I have chosen a place. And on that place, I will stick my name. And it's a place in Judah. You see, it is a place that when you come unto it, you will be heard. And I will perform my covenant for you. Christ is that way. And he is the doorway unto the life that we so crave. So here we have the true tabernacle. Now look at this body. By the way, that's you. That's you in Christ. Before you were in Adam. But now you have come unto the door and you've entered in through Christ Jesus into a new and living way. You've entered in and now you become something altogether different. And now, because you came to the door, look at your head. Your head is Christ, the door. You have turned to the high place. Not the high places that were the counterfeit, but you have now turned away from self. You have denied self. And you said, I choose you, Jesus. And as a result, everything in your life begins to be solved. Remember what was at the top before? The flesh was. But now look where the flesh went. It went to the bottom. The flesh is now subservient. Your sexuality, your appetite, your capacity for sleep, your eyes, your mouth, your heart, these things no longer rule and control. They are now subservient to the soul. Your mind, will, and emotions, which is subservient to a new inhabitant, one who has made this tabernacle known as you, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And now the Spirit of God, the very life of Jesus Christ, dwells in you. And so, Christ is the head. You make him your focus. He is the only way to the Father, and you believe it. You will not turn to the other high places, but instead you have allowed them to be destroyed in your life and torn down by the work of the cross. And now you turn unto the door. You repent of all other doors, and you turn unto the door, and you are saved. The true tabernacle, it's being in Christ, because for Christ is the true tabernacle. Where the new man rules. Who's the new man? His name is Jesus. The temple that's built by God where Christ is worshipped and righteousness reigns. Coming to the door. Uh, it's, it's quite a big decision for us, I know. And for many of us, we're like, well, I've been at the door my entire Christian life. Why, do, why are we hearing this? Because there may be other things in your life where you need to forsake another door. That self still has a position in your life and you have refused to tear down that high place. It does not mean that your life is a complete fraud. It means that you are doing things in your life that the Bible would call sin. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ our Lord, but you still must repent. You still must turn away from those other high places. You still must neglect them. 
turn them to dust coming to the door. But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall ye seek. And thither thou shalt come, and thither you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and heave offerings of your hand and your vows and your free will offerings and your firstlings of your herds and of your flock. Well, that's a lot of sacrifice, a lot of offering to be bringing. And I've been describing this door as Jesus Christ, this place, this place that has been chosen by God. And he has stuck his name upon it. This is Jesus Christ. He says, bring all your offering, all your sacrifice unto him. What are the sacrifices that we're supposed to bring? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, thou wilt not despise. We don't have much to bring, do we? I don't know about you, but I'm not raising sheep. And so it's going to be sort of hard to bring the first sheep of my flock anywhere. It's like I'm going to have to go to someone else's flock and say, uh, could you give me the, the first? And then it's like, well, there's 100 people before you that asked for the first of the flock. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do these things? You know what? You do have something to offer. It might not be very impressive, but it's a humility to acknowledge that these high places are not your salvation. That this indulgence over here or this self-satisfying behavior over here or this behavior that, you know, your parents did and so you've always done, you grew up doing it. And you, I mean, it really does feed you. And even though you know it's killing you at a certain level, you know it might be even destroying your marriage. You can't cut off from it wholly and completely. A broken and contrite spirit that says, look, I'm coming to the door. And I'm forsaking all other high places and I'm allowing the cross of Jesus Christ to crush them in my life. I'm turning away from them. The cross has done the work. My old man is crucified. My old life and all my high places in my life are no more. They will not control me. They will not have me. I need, Jesus, what only you have. And so my sacrifice is a broken and contrite spirit to say, I need you. You are the only means of salvation. I will not look elsewhere for my help in time of need. But I know you have that help for me in time of need. And in Hebrews 13, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. So when the sacrifices were brought to the door, there was a portion that was for the priests. And I think some of the students in here were in the inner parts that Ben shared were somewhat grossed out. But also you begin to understand there's a portion that God says, that's mine. And there's another portion that bore the sin. And it was taken outside the camp. It's an amazing thought. God says, could you give me the call on the kidneys? My son is born the sin. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For we, here we have no continuing city. So in other words, it's not like we're looking for Jerusalem, we're looking for a physical door. But we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. What's your sacrifice? It's not just a lamb or a goat. It's a sacrifice of praise. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. In other words, you've been rescued. Now, as freely as you have been given to, now freely give. 
This is the offering of our life up to God. Take me. Have me. It's not a lamb or a goat. It's us. It's a broken and contrite spirit. It's a sacrifice of praise. You have done it. Now take what you deserve. Have it. You purchased it with your blood. I offer it up as a free will offering unto my God. Coming unto Jesus, the most high. We're talking about high places. Let's talk about the high place. It's a person, and his name is Jesus. We are made whole and strong. See, in Christ Jesus, when we come to Jesus, when we, when we come to him and say, you are my door, you are the only avenue I have to the Father, and here I am, I believe. Well, we enter into what's known as the person of Christ. We enter into a strong tower. We have his clothing upon us, which is called the righteousness of God. It is the garments of salvation that clothes us. And in Christ Jesus, we have everything we need for life and godliness. So remember that health side of our life? We are made whole and strong in Christ Jesus. And thus, the health yearning is solved. We are made stable and secure. The financial yearning is solved. We are satisfied and refreshed. The comfort yearning is solved. Now, if you heard that, you could say, is this health, wealth, and prosperity? No. No, I believe in the New Testament, and you know, all the apostles were martyred. And John, of course, you could say, well, he didn't die of a martyr's death. Well, he was thrown into a vat of boiling oil, pulled out unscathed. They couldn't figure out how to kill him, so they exiled him to Patmos. That's the Christianity I believe in. But guess what? Those men were built for the task. They finished the course. They ran the race. They may have had scars all over their body. Paul was, what was it, five times that he received stripes on his back? Five times, 39 stripes. His back would have been torn to shreds just once. Imagine just a mass of pulp on his back, and then it happened four more times. That's how he lived his life. And yet I would say, even when a viper grabs a hold of his hand, he shakes it off. He has a job to do here on earth. And though he... May have some aches and pains along the way. Guess what? What he is here on earth for, he will complete. That's what we have in Christ Jesus. There's no untimely deaths in Christ Jesus. When death comes, we embrace it. Praise God to die is gain. However, as long as I still have a purpose on this earth, I'm not going anywhere. I don't leave on the enemy's terms. I leave on God's terms. We are made stable and secure. That does not mean that you have some vast financial portfolio. However, you have exactly what you need. Many of us in here have proven this time and time again. We may not want, we, well, I would say it this way, we want a lot more than we have. However, we have precisely what we need to fulfill the purpose and the task that we've been made strong for. That's where our faith lies. We come to that high place and we do not go anywhere else. We say, you have what I need. And I turn to you. I turn to you as the door. We are satisfied and refreshed. That does not mean that we're sitting in comfort on the beaches of some Caribbean island being fanned and fed grapes. We are given everything we need. I have a rather challenging life. However, I would testify of all those three things in abundance. I have what I need to be strong for the king. We are given truth and are entrusted the mind of Christ. Therefore, the intellectual yearning is solved. No longer are you the incompetent idiot. Now suddenly you've been bequeathed in Christ. You've been given the mind of Christ. By the way, he created the heavens and the earth. We are made alive. 
the purpose yearning is solved. We have a desire to feel alive, to have purpose, to have a sense of being. Why are we here? It's all solved in Jesus Christ. He is the life. He is your purpose. We are given love for our brother and entrusted the ministry of reconciliation, and the relationship yearning is solved. We are justified and reconciled unto God, and thusly the religious yearning of being right and correct with this God out there is solved. There's one God, and that one God has given commands, and we have violated them, and we have broken confidence and trust, and we have rebelled against him. But in the blood of Jesus Christ, when we enter into Christ, we are justified with that God, and we are now deemed just in his eyes. Before all the law, he sees the blood of Jesus instead of our sin. And our sin is atoned for. There's a propitiation made for it. And we are redeemed from a state of despair and a state of absolute destruction. And we are made the children of God? What? Uh huh. Why in the world would you go to any other high place? Everything you could ever need, long for, desire is found in Christ. Everything. I'm not talking about the posh, indulgent, self-centered existence of this earth. That's what leads to death. God saves us from that. So you do not have to have the cravings of your flesh met. When you come to the cross, when you come to that door, you are set free from the need to be like the world, to be satisfied as the world is satisfied, to be popular with the world. You're set free from it. I don't care what they think anymore. You are set free to live as God created you to live. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Where does the high and holy one live? He's in the high and holy place, which we understand is the right hand of the Father. Is there anything else higher than the Father? No. That's the highest place we could ever go. We're like, but I can't get there. That's why I have to go to these other high places. And what does Jesus say? I can get you there. I am the door. I am the way unto the Father. And guess what? He says, it is better for you that I go to be with the Father. We're like, what? Why is it better? Couldn't you stay down here, Jesus? We could see you with our eyes. No, it's better. Because if you're in Jesus Christ, you go where he goes. You know who dwells with them in the high and holy place? Those who came unto that door with a humble and contrite spirit. And they offered up their life. And they said, I can only be saved by you. And guess who dwells with them in the high and holy place? I'll read it to you again. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place. You know that place you can't get to? Mm-hmm. I dwell there. However, do you know what I did? I opened up a way for you. And so with him also, that is of the contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You need to be revived. You need to be made right and whole. You will not find that answer in any other high place. Only the high place. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head. Above all. Oh. For thou, Lord, art high. Above all the earth, thou art exalted far above all, and by the way, this is small g, gods. Every other solution 
every other offering that could be made, every other counterfeit option out there, who's higher than them all? You see, he actually crushed all these gods at the cross. And I don't know if we could go to this Golgotha and dig up and find a whole bunch of heads, but it's like, hey, there's my old man's head right there. You see, there's been a decapitation, a removal of power and authority. In the Hebrew culture, the head is a symbol of authority. The feet are the symbol of dominion. And what did Jesus do with his foot? But he crushed the authority, the head of the serpent. He has crushed the authority in the head of the body of sin. And yes, you have gone to a false door. And you have attempted to find a satisfaction and a fulfillment in something else other than Jesus. And yes, you have put another God before him. And you have brought your offering, your sacrifice unto a counterfeit door. And as a result, sin has ravaged your life. But what should you do? You should repent. You should turn. And you should take a humble and contrite spirit as an offering. And to say, I have wronged my God. I have broken the law. However, I know that you have fulfilled it. And you are my only means of making this right. You come under the door in every situation, but don't keep going to your high places. Allow the cross to finish them in your life. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.